Chapter 15 of Monica. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Monica by Evelyn Everett Green. A summons to Trevlin. Randolph! Randolph! Why did you not take me home when I begged so hard to go? It was cruel, cruel, and now it is too late. This irrepressible cry of anguish burst from Monica in the first moments of a terrible, overmastering grief. An open telegram in Randolph's hand announced the sudden death of Lord Trevlin. He had just broken to his wife, with as much gentleness as he could, the news of this crushing sorrow. It was hardly unnatural that she should remember, in such a moment, how eloquently she had pleaded a few weeks back to be taken home to Trevlin. Yet she repented the words before they had passed her lips, for she saw they had hurt her husband. He was deeply grieved for her. His heart yearned over her, but his words were few. Can you be ready to start, Monica, by noon express? She bent her head in a silent ascent, and moved away as one who walks in a dream. Poor child, he said softly. Poor child, if only my love could make up to you for what you have lost. But alas, this is not what you want. It was a strange, sad, silent journey, almost as sad as the one in which Randolph had brought his bride to London. He was taking her back at last to her childhood's home. Was he any nearer to her innermost self than he had been that day, now nearly three months ago? He was hopeful that he had made an advance, and yet this sudden recall to Trevlin disconcerted him. Apart from the question of the Earl's death, there was another trouble, he believed, hanging over Monica's future. Tom Pendrell had been profiting by her absence to experiment, as she would have called it, upon Arthur, with results that had surprised even him, though he had always believed the case curable if properly treated. Randolph had had nothing to do directly with the matter, but Tom had written lately, asking him to find out the best authorities on spinal injuries and get some one or two specialists to come and have a look at the boy. This Randolph had done at his own expense, and with the result, as he had heard a few days back, that Arthur was to be sent abroad for a year, to be under a German doctor, whose cures of similar cases had been bringing him into marked repute. Monica had been, by Arthur's special wish, kept in ignorance of everything. He was eagerly anxious, even at the cost of considerable suffering, to submit to the prescribed treatment, feeling how much good he had already received from Tom's more severe remedies. But he knew how Monica shrank from the idea of anything that could give him pain, how terrible she would consider the idea of parting, how vehemently she would struggle to thwart the proposed plan. So he had begged that she might be kept in ignorance till all was finally settled. Indeed, he had some idea, not entirely discouraged by Tom, 
of getting himself quietly removed to Germany in her absence, so that she might be spared all the anxiety, misery, and suspense. Randolph could hardly have been acquitted of participation in the scheme, the whole cost of which was to fall upon him, and he wondered what Monica might think of his share in it. It had been no doing of his that she had not been told from the first. He had urged upon the others the unfairness of keeping her in the dark. But Arthur's vehement wish for secrecy had won the day, and he had held his peace until he should be permitted to speak. And now what would happen? What was likely to be the result upon Monica of the inevitable disclosure? Would it not seem to her as if the first act of her husband, on succeeding to the family estate, was to banish from it the one being for whom she had so often bespoken his protection and brotherly care? Might she not fancy that he was in some way the originator of the scheme? Might she not be acute enough to see that but for him it never could have been carried out, owing to lack of necessary funds? Her father might have approved it, but he could not have hoarded it as Randolph was able to do. Might it not seem to her that he was trying to rid himself of an unwelcome burden, and to isolate his wife from all whom she loved best? He could not forget some of the words she had spoken not very long after their marriage. Practically, those words had been rescinded by what had followed, but that could hardly be so in the case. Monica's heart clung round Arthur with passionate, yearning tenderness. That was one of the main springs of her existence. What would she say to those who had banded together to take the boy from her? Randolph's preoccupation and gravity were not lost upon Monica, but she had no clue to their real cause. She felt that there was something in it of which she was ignorant and there was a sort of sadness and constraint even in the suspicion of such thing. She was unnerved and miserable, and although she well knew she had not merited her husband's full confidence, it hurt her keenly to feel that it was withheld from her. Evening came on, a wild, melancholy, stormy evening. Is there anything more sad and dreary than a midsummer storm? It does not come with the wild, restless might of a winter tempest, sweeping triumphantly along, carrying awe before it in the exuberance of its power. It is a sad, subdued, moaning creature, full of eerie sounds of wailing and regret, not wrapped in darkness, but cloaked in misty twilight, gray and ghost-like, a pale, sorrowful, mysterious thing that seems to know itself altogether out of place, and is haunted by its own melancholy and dreariness. It was in the fast waning light of such a summer's evening that the portals of Trevlin opened to welcome Monica again. She was in the old familiar hall that once had been so dear to her, the place whose stern, grim desolation had held such charms for her. Why did she now gaze round her with dilated eyes, a sort of horror growing upon her. Why did she cling to her husband's arms so closely, as the frowning suits of male and black-carved faces stared at her out of the dusky darkness? 
why was her first exclamation one of terror and dismay? Randolph! Randolph! This is not Trevlin! It cannot be Trevlin! Take me home! Ah! Take me home! There was a catch in her breath. She was shaken with nervous agitation and exhaustion. It seemed to her that this ghostly place was altogether strange and terrible. She did not know that the change was in herself. She thought it was in her surroundings. What have they done to it? What have they done to Trevlin? This is not my old home. Randolph took her in his arms, alarmed by her pale looks and manifest disquietude. Not know your old home, Monica? He said, half gravely, half playfully. This is the only Trevlin I have ever known. It is you that have half forgotten. You have grown used to something so very different. Monica looked timidly about her, half convinced, yet not relieved of all her haunting fears. What a strange, vast, silent place it was. Voices echoed strangely in it, resounding as it were from remote corners. Footsteps sounded hollow and strange as they came and went along the deserted passages. The staircase stretched upwards into blank darkness, suggesting lurking horrors. All was intensely desolate. Was this truly the home she had loved so well? But Lady Diana appeared from one direction, and Tom Pendrel from another. Monica dropped her husband's arm and stood up, her calm, quiet self again. Food was awaiting the travelers, and as they partook, or tried to partake of it, they heard all such particulars of the Earl's sudden death as there were to hear. He had been as well as usual. Indeed, during the past week he had really appeared to gain in strength and activity. He had been out of doors on all fine days, and only yesterday had sat out for quite a long time upon the terrace. He had gone to bed apparently in his usual health. But when his man had gone to him in the morning, he found him dead and cold. Tom Pendrel had come over at once and had remained for the day, relieving Lady Diana from all trouble in looking after things, and thinking what was to be done. It was his opinion that the Earl had died in his sleep, without a moment's premonition. It was the syncope of the heart, and was most likely almost instantaneous. There had been no struggle and no pain, as was evident from his restful attitude and expression. The next days passed sadly and heavily, and the Earl was laid to rest amongst his forefathers and the family vault. Lady Diana took her departure, glad, after the strain and sorrow of the past days, to escape from surroundings so gloomy and to solace herself for her long stay at Trevlin by a retreat to an atmosphere more congenial to her. Monica was glad to see her go. She shrank from her sharp words and sharper looks. She longed to be alone with her husband, that she might try to win back his heart by her own deep love that she hid away so well. But it was not easy even then to say what was in her heart. Randolph was very busy from morning till night over the necessary business that must ensue upon the death of a landed proprietor. Tom Pendrel, who had been much with the Earl of late, 
remained to assist his successor, and both the men seemed to take it for granted that Monica would gladly be spared all business discussions and devote herself to Arthur, from whom she had so long been separated. Monica, very gentle and submissive, accepted the office bestowed upon her, and quietly bided her time. Despite the loss she had just sustained, she was not unhappy. How could she be unhappy when she had her husband? When she felt that every day they were drawing nearer and nearer together? She looked wistfully into his face sometimes, and saw the old, proud, tender look shining upon her, thrilling her with wonderful gladness. Some little shadow still hung over them, but it was rolling slowly away. The dawn was breaking in its golden glory. The time was drawing very near when each was to know the heart of the other wholly and entirely one. She never shrank from hearing the new Lord Trevelyan called by his title, but looked at him proudly and tenderly, feeling how well he bore the dignity, how nobly he would fulfill the duties now devolving upon him. She watched him day by day with quiet, loving solicitude. She saw his care for her in each actor plan, knew that he thought for her still, made her his first object, although she had disappointed him so grievously once. Her heart throbbed with joy to feel that this was so. The sunshine deepened round her path day by day, just a little patience, just a little time to show him that the old distrust and insubordination were over, and he would give to her. She felt sure of it now, the love she prized above all else on earth. Monica's face might be pale and grave in these days, yet it wore an added sweetness as each passed by, for her heart was full of strange new joy. She loved her husband. He loved her. Their hearts were all but united. End of chapter 15